You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 473 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Cody Norman is a former loan officer and current independent Ruby on Rails consultant. After completing a bootcamp in the summer of 2014, he began an internship as a Rails developer for an early stage startup and never looked back. He enjoys mentoring and working with early career developers and is an engineering mentor at the Agency of Learning. The past five years, he's been living in a small mountain town called Bailey, Colorado with his wife and three cats. Welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Cody. Hi, good morning from Bailey, Colorado. And rumor has it, this might be your first podcast. Is that true, Cody? This is absolutely my first podcast. I love that so much because it's such a big goal for us to bring new voices onto the show. I have a feeling this is going to be the beginning of many podcasts for you, Cody. So, of course, I want to know, what is your developer origin story? All right. My developer origin story, I'd say it is a long career of false starts. I grew up in a small town in North Carolina. It's actually the town that Mayberry is based off of. So. For a long time, technology wasn't really accessible. I don't think we had the internet maybe until I was in eighth grade or so. I remember a lot of those cool AOL discs. They all had long distance phone numbers, which probably confuses a lot of the listeners these days. But I remember that being a thing. So it really wasn't until I got to college to even have the opportunity to take any type of computer science or programming or anything like that. So it was always something was very interested in, but never really had a chance to look into. I remember specifically there was one day I was working in mortgages still. I used to have, I believe it was CNN money pulled up all day to kind of check the markets and see the rates and see what everything was doing. And I read an article about Code Academy and I was so blown away. I remember emailing myself because the fact of being able to do everything in your browser and kind of take out and shorten this whole feedback loop and be able to input something in your little REPL and then see the output immediately without all the extra steps and downloading and everything was just kind of blew my mind. So that kind of got me reignited on my path to learn more. I don't think I ever considered this would eventually end up being a career, but that was the first time that it had kind of gave me the keys, which was a big change. It felt like I was in control of my own destiny. I could go home and work on this for as many hours as I needed to. I wasn't blocked by a lot of the other things that I kind of felt like I was in finance. Okay. Um, So you discovered that you had an aptitude for coding through Codecademy. Did that cause you to enroll in bootcamp then? Yeah. I mean, that was really something that was kind of far out. I think this may be before I really even started hearing about them. But I did kind of get to the point to where I enjoyed mortgages. I enjoyed helping people. But a lot of the other things that kind of go along with that just were really kind of weighing me down. So was in the process of looking for a career switch and coding was not my first choice. Actually, I was planning on going back in, getting my master's in economics, was probably going to do some research or something like that, helping with local governments, public policy, something along those lines. So boot camp, I didn't even know that was an option. After about a year of that or so, I decided that I had to leave my job because I do not do well with moderation on a lot of things, employment included. So I knew that I had to kind of leave to be able to really focus on whatever was going to be next. 
there was even one point where I had an opportunity. I had a great job offer for a financial advisor. It was very close to my apartment and a great spot in the city. It seemed like a very good company and they were going to pay for my licensing. But I knew if I went down that path, then any chances of learning the code or even having a potential career in that would be kicked down the road a couple of years. So I actually did a more normal path and originally enrolled in the certificate program at our community college. That lasted about six weeks <laughs> <laughs> because I'd already had my eyes open. Like I'd already seen what was out there. I'd seen how quickly some of these courses and stuff could move, especially for the self-paced stuff. And I was saying, I was like, well, no wonder this will take two years because we're spending a week and a half on this one HTML thing when this is something that I would work on and get done and move to like the next course or lesson or whatever in a single evening. So I knew that wasn't getting me where I wanted to be at the speed that I wanted to be moving at. And at that point, that's when I really started looking into boot camps as like a viable option. Yeah. And back in 2014, there weren't that many and a lot of them were teaching Ruby on Rails. So how did you land on the boot camp that you ultimately went to? <laughs> this is pretty funny. I actually went to this one specifically because they didn't only teach Rails. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, I have to it, kick you off the show now. I'm sorry, Cody. Right, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll pack my stuff. But anyway, it was like you said, there, there weren't very many. I was living in Philly at the time. So I knew I would have to either go to New York or somewhere in the Silicon Valley area. And I found a place called Coding Dojo. And the interesting thing about that one was they did three stacks over the course of the boot camp. So we did a month on PHP. And I know everyone has a soft spot for Laravel, but we did Code Igniter. But that was probably the first framework that I'd worked with. The second month was a JavaScript-based stack. So this was pretty, pretty new. I think it was still AngularJS, Mongo, Node. That was still very brand new. And then the third section was Rails. And that was just kind of to fill in the rest of the gaps because that was what all of the other boot camps were teaching. And at the time, it seemed like Rails had a lot of good kind of self-learning tutorials and items out there. I probably went through the Hartle tutorial four or five times before I even got to the boot camp. That's amazing. Okay. So then from there, you went through the boot camp and it was really up to you in terms of what stack you decided to follow through with. And so it sounds like you had some appreciation for PHP, but you ultimately chose Rails. Why? Well, and actually, I think it was just kind of luck of the draw because I was willing to work on anything that pretty much someone would be willing to pay me to do. And it happened to be Rails that I got my first gig in, which was great because it was kind of in the middle of we were still going through our Rails portion of the course. Everything was still fresh. And I remember I was looking through, for whatever reason, I was looking through Craigslist or somewhere like that and found a posting for a new startup that had just been accepted into a tech accelerator back in Philly. And they were looking for someone to help them with Rails work for about three months. So I immediately sent them an email and it was kind of funny. I came in the next day and I got an email for kind of a short notice interview. And I remember asking my instructor, I was like, hey, this is going to sound kind of weird, 
can I borrow the office for an interview? And he just looked at me and was like, sure. Yeah. Okay. He seemed very confused, but that was my first software interview. And then a few days later, I was offered a position and ended up actually flying home from the boot camp early to go start working with them at the tech accelerator. Oh, that is so great. It must have felt so good towards the end of the boot camp, knowing that you had a job landed like that hustle right there, Cody, just it must have felt great. It was definitely a double edged sword. I remember being like absolutely ecstatic. There was this one stoplight. I used to ride my bike home every day. I was abnormally long. And for whatever reason, I remember checking my email, waiting at that stoplight and I saw the yes email. And that was it. And I feel like I rode a wheelie all the way home. <laughs> that, may not, that may have been a, you know, a dramatization, but that's at least that's how it felt. So you spent a couple of years as a product engineer, and then it seems like you veered into consulting. So why consulting? Yeah. So consulting, that's something that's always interested me. You know, I've done a lot of work for agencies over the years. So I do like the idea of having Lots of different projects, lots of different kind of use cases, even personalities, people that you work with. But I kind of got to a point in my career where I kind of had a realization that if I want to be working on things that I enjoy the most, I should be the one finding that. So it seemed like I wanted to take a more active role in my career fulfillment. And that seemed the best way to go about Thanks to Honey Badger, I have all kinds of sources to back what I'm about to say next. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime certainly should not be one of them. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute that you're down. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which of course helps you stay in business. Best of all, Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. That is honeybadger.io. Thanks to Honey Badger for supporting the show. So I have to ask, how does your experience as a loan officer help you? Because I could think of a multitude of ways that it might actually help you. Oh, yes, it's a ton. The first few items are definitely soft skills. I think one of the biggest ones is resilience. I used to get told no at least 50, sometimes up to 100 times a day, every single day, like it was nothing. And that's something you get used to. Being a mortgage loan officer around 2011 or so, not the best rap in the world. People were very willing to tell you what they thought of you, the mortgage industry, pretty much everything going on. So you had to be very resilient, had to develop thick skin. I also still had a much heavier Southern accent having just moved up from North Carolina and all of my leads and my licenses were for that mid-Atlantic, Philly, New Jersey area. So. They also had a lot of fun with that. I would imagine, too, that because you were a loan officer, it's all about the fine print. And so I imagine that with your experience, when you read code or you read documentation, you truly read it. There's probably no skimming for you. I definitely do a quick skim at first. I think that okay. helps. 
because I want to see if anything jumps out at me. Because a lot of this is just, you have so much repetition. Sometimes this one thing can just stand out just enough to kind of get you to dig into it a little more. But besides that, yes, being very diligent, looking through everything and also planning out the absolute worst case scenario and Mm. a lot of plans around it. Okay, that makes sense. Now, this is something that one of my new favorite podcasts, Indie Rails, covers when they interview people. But I want to ask you as well, how do you connect to the Ruby and Ruby on Rails community without being on a product team? Yeah, and honestly, that's something that I've tried to work a little bit more on. I was probably kind of in a hole not really talking to anyone until RubyConf in Denver, I believe two years ago, so pretty recently, but bringing kind of everyone here to my home court and being able to see everyone in Colorado and that just kind of reignited me getting active and involved in the community. It had been a few years since I'd been to any conferences and was feeling a bit run down, but that really kind of kickstarted me to get more active, start talking to more people in the community, trying to be a little more present for some things and really whatever kind of makes the most sense for me. Right now, that happens to be Twitter. I've been posting a little more on my blog lately. As much as I hate it, we'll probably end up doing more on LinkedIn. But I think the main thing is to put things out there and see where people are able to find it. Does that mean conference speaking is just a couple goals away, Cody? I actually did submit my first CFP in a very long time this year. It didn't get accepted, but it kind of knocked the dust off for me. I used to do a lot of kind of lightning talks at meetups, usually Mm. to fill in the space or the time whenever either me as an organizer or one of the other organizers didn't have enough time to fill everything out. But right now I'm trying to figure out what would be a good talk from me. And once I had that, I feel like I can really dig into it a little bit more. So if anyone is out there and they have a specific talk or topic they'd like to hear from me, then yes, please let me know. Save me some trouble. Well, let's make it easy for the listeners. What do you feel comfortable talking about, Cody? I feel like a lot of people in our community are trying to find their niche. I mean, honestly, I've been in this community just as long as you. I've been here since 2014. And I feel like I'm still looking for my niche or I pick up something and put it down. For a while there, I was the woman known for teaching people how to quit their jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good at that one too, yeah. (laughs) So I'm curious, at this point, what do you think would be very on brand for you to speak about? I think the first thing to really kind of figure out is what type of talk would this be? Like, would this be something that is a little more technical nature? Is this more soft skills and kind of keeping yourself together, how to focus and get your work done, what kind of makes the most sense for me and things that I would be really involved and passionate about. That seems to be where I get the best results is when I really connect to something and can kind of really lean into it. I agree. I have done probably about eight talks over my career. They tend to be more of the non-technical nature. I've only, I think, done two technical talks and people that do technical talks ongoing are just very impressive to me, but they also feel the flip side about doing the non-technical talks. So like non-technical is such a funny term. Soft talk is also a funny term. We need a better right. term for those talks. Like, <laughs> Please help me with that because I honestly have no idea, but I think the listeners are following along with me. 
But yeah, I was rejected so many times those first couple of years. And it just pushed me to refine those talks more and more. And it became a habit where just because a talk was rejected doesn't mean that it's not a good talk. It might not have been a good talk for that conference. Someone might have already been covering it or you needed to do a better job in terms of selling it to the organizers. Exactly. And um, I actually spoke to some people that reviewed the CFP and they had a lot of good things to say about it, which just didn't make the cut, which is fine. You know, I'm always more than welcome to get feedback for things. So for now, instead of trying to think of what would be a good talk, my kind of approach right now is to just do a lot of cool things and see what might make a good talk out of that. So I'm not specifically focusing on the talk. I'm just trying to do a lot of things that may eventually lead to a, a good talk sometime. That's such a good way to go about it because even if you try something new and you fail at it, it's probably a good talk. There's lessons learned there, right? Right. And for me, whenever I specifically set out for something like, all right, I'm going to find this one thing, I never have the results I feel like I want or I need. When I just kind of have it on the back burner and I know that, all right, this is something that I want to do. I'm going to continue to look for opportunities as they come up. The best way to do that is somehow surface things coming up and you do that by getting out and publishing stuff or doing things, talking to people, just going out and getting some grass stains on your pants. This segues well into a subject that you offered to talk about and something that I love to talk about, which is personal branding. So what about you or the things you do is uniquely Cody? That's a good question, but it's, I know it when I see it for sure. Okay. Do you have a good example? The one thing that I do remember is just feeling like I always kind of had to hide myself when I was still working in finance. They didn't like tattoos. They didn't like long hair. I'd taken my gauges out, so I wasn't as edgy. But a lot of these things are just even going out and doing like a happy hour or something like that. It's just like, oh, man, is my boss going to see my tattoo? Is that going to open a whole conversation? Like, I'm in retail banking. Also, am I going to have to have a very long undershirt to not bring up questions? And that just felt very against the grain for me. And I found that putting myself in situations where I can be the most at ease, the most myself, and just kind of do the things that I feel should be done, I get the best results. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm in the same boat as you, Cody. You know, I have a septum ring. I have many tattoos. And recently I started wearing wigs. So like my hair is even more outrageous than normal. (laughs) And it's funny, it's like for me, loud lipstick and like, appearing to be extroverted is somewhat my personal brand. And so like when I got away from roller derby because of the pandemic, when I came back to it this year, I was like, this feels like my personal brand. This feels fitting. Right. It just feels right. Yeah. It kind of like snaps into place. And in some ways that's great. But I also really love the flip side. I absolutely love doing something. And my partner, my best friend looking at me and being like, you did that. And I'm like, yeah, I did. (laughs) Didn't fit my brand, did it? In some ways, that can be really thrilling too, right? Exactly. Yes. When my wife and I purchased our home a couple of years ago, I got to be on the other side of the loan officer table and was very ready to go on that. So yeah, I was talking terms, sending back and forth proposals, getting stuff done. I think we got our loan closed in like three weeks. It was something 
so fast that our realtor was very shocked. But it was kind of going back in this position where it's like, oh, okay, well, people are very unassuming of me just being able to probably look me up on LinkedIn and you have to skim all the way to the bottom to see any mortgage experience at this point. So they probably weren't expecting a guy to be very well-versed in all the methods and terms and options that are available. Oh, that must have felt so good. (laughs) It did. I was very ready for it. And this is one of those things I told my wife. I was like, listen, I'll let you know what I need, but I'm going to handle this. I'm going to put these guys through the ringer. We're going to be miserable. The phone's going to be ringing off the hook for two weeks and then we'll be done. I love it. This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash Ruby on Rails. Well, something that feels like it would be very on brand for you, Cody, is being an engineering mentor for the Agency of Learning. Now, it's been a couple episodes since Dave Paola was on. I think he's rebranded from Sierra Rails to Agency of Learning. But could you maybe give the listeners like a little recap on what the Agency of Learning is? And then we'll talk about how you got started with them. So the main goal for the Agency of Learning is to address this kind of gap that we have with hiring these new developers. So how do we get people into their first job? How do we have them better prepared to succeed at that first job? So some of the things that we do are a little bit different than, I guess, the normal mentorship style process of learning, but I've really been seeing some great results and it has been very exciting. So the idea is that someone could go through a boot camp or they could be self-taught And they're at a level now where they can start contributing to an application. And so the agency of learning is a place where they can receive mentorship in order to do that goal. Yes, exactly. Okay. I I believe I've heard Dave refer to it as a finishing school, uh, Mm. which I think is a great example. But there's a lot that goes into opening a pull request besides just having the code correct. And I think that's Something that's difficult to teach at a boot camp because you're very pressed for time and you have a lot of stuff to learn anyway. So things like this, I think, are really making a difference in giving people a lot of additional tools to kind of prepare themselves and be able to pop into a project and contribute to a point to where, unless someone specifically went out and looked them up, may not even know that this might be their first developer job. I love that. How did you get started with mentoring with them and like, Can you give me an example of like how you're helping? Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually doing the first Ruby friend program. I think I was early in that with the first one or two batches or so. And the official kind of six month period ended, I believe it was sometime in January or so. And my mentee had landed a job at an amazing organization. He's surrounded by some amazing people. 
So I know he's in a very good spot right now. That kind of re-sparked my interest in mentorship. I started looking for some more opportunities to kind of see what was out there, what was available. I also kind of connected with Dave at a period to where I think I'd got maybe like four or five just rejection things just all in a row and wanted to do something to where I knew that I would be able to, to kind of prove my worth. I knew I would be able to do a very good job at it and I could really lean into it. And that was another thing that kind of drew me to that. So I had reached out to Dave. He kind of invited me to the channel. And after that, I just tried to start running everything like I would if I had new developers on my team. By the way, here's something else you should know. We should look into this. Hey, that brings up a good question. Let's dive into that. So trying to run it more like I did when I was previously onboarding new developers as opposed to something that's more like tutoring or just onboarding. I think that's so great that you're doing that. How do you balance the mentorship duties with consulting? Because I imagine being a consultant probably gives you a bit more flexibility so that you can help members of the agency of learning in more real time. But I could see it being very tempting to spend a lot of time on the agency of learning, but making sure that you're prioritizing your client work as well. Yes. Well, that was one of the big things that drew me to kind of moving to consulting, being able to have more free time and being able to build these types of things into my day as opposed to fit everything else around them. That was a big draw. But now we have set standups each morning. We do our normal standup and then we'll kind of hang out as time allows and do some review, go over some questions. So I have that time specifically blocked off. Aside from that, I try to make sure Anyone who is stuck on any of the channels or projects I'm helping out with has the help that they need. If anyone needs a little more of a deep dive, usually we can set up some time either that day or the next day. We'll go through it. I always try to make some notes and then relay whatever we learned along to everyone else. So, and we can feed this knowledge back into the group. That's awesome. So we'll definitely link up the agency of learning in the show notes listeners in case you are interested in getting involved. Now, Cody, this is something that you said that you would talk about. So we're going to test me. I want to hear a strongly held barbecue opinion because I don't think I have any, but let's see. Okay. So I realize this will have some people coming at me, but I think pork is by far the best barbecue meat, brisket, second or third, maybe. But I think pork wins out, at least for me, nine times out of 10. Okay. I'm not going to fight you on that one. What about sauce? Ah, okay. This is much more opinionated. <laughs> um, specifically for me, I prefer a Carolina-style barbecue sauce. So something kind of vinegary, ketchup, pepper, that type of thing. I make my own sauce always. I don't put anyone else's barbecue sauce on something that I spend 10 hours on. So I will make every sauce that I use in all of my barbecue stuff because it's one of those little kind of refinements you can put on everything to kind of make things yours. That actually sounds delightful. I love to horrify people with one of my waitressing jobs that I had before I became a developer. I worked at a now defunct restaurant called Jake's Barbecue. And the thing that they did that people were absolutely horrified by is that they made all the barbecue in the kitchen with no sauce. And then on the table were four bottles of cold, like room temperature sauce that people would put on their barbecue. 
And people used to get so irate <laughs> that they would get hot barbecue and then they would <laughs> spray all this like lukewarm, not even warm sauce like onto their barbecue. And they would demand that I go back and like heat up the bottle. So I'm curious, are you horrified by that? That sounds hilarious, actually. I've kind of written off barbecue restaurants in general because yeah. it, it's not economical to make money from good barbecue. So I chalk it up to it is what it is. But that sounds like some hilarious interaction. That part was hilarious. What was not hilarious was at the end of the night having to fill all those bottles again. That was horrible. <laughs> I don't miss those times whatsoever. Very grateful to be a technical now and being able to have a good job that is not filling up barbecue bottles. Yes, exactly. I've been able to demote that to hobby for me now. Yes. So as I ask most of my guests, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? I think it's bright. I think it's brighter than it has been in the past few years, probably. I think that there is, at least for me, a kind of new excitedness around Hotwire and leaning into a little more a sensible approach to kind of developing front end for things. That even was one of the things that kind of spurred me to think more about consulting because it seemed like it was more likely to be able to write just Rails. Like I don't have to feather in React anymore. I could get most of what I need to have done with Stimulus or Hotwire, which is great. And hopefully being able to give people a all-in-one solution and not have to say, okay, well, we're going to use Rails for the back end. We're going to use React for the front end with all this other stuff, just giving them a out of the box solution. So they could stay in the one community, they can keep focusing, leveling up and being able to kind of transfer those skills around. From what I've seen, it has been much, much easier to kind of onboard a pretty competent Ruby developer to Hotwire, as opposed to someone who is pretty decent at JavaScript into a brand new React project. So I think that gives the tools that we need to kind of focus more on these all-in-one solutions, one person being able to do everything and get things done. And that means that this one person has more knowledge to kind of relay and spread out back to the community that they can take in and be able to move things forward. So I think things are very bright. Think we'll see you at any more conferences this year? Yes. Absolutely. I have at least one planned for the very near future. So I will be at Blue Ridge Ruby heading back to my home state for the first time in five or six years in the next couple of weeks. After that, I'm not sure, but I may try to have at least one more potentially Ruby comp. I do love San Diego, but one for sure. Hopefully two. All right. Awesome. Well, Cody, how can listeners follow you? For following me, the easiest way, Twitter, that's a good way. I'm also available on LinkedIn. You can send me an email from the email address listed on my personal website. Not always super fast to respond to things, but I do see most of the things that make it my way and try to respond to anyone that does reach out. So if there is anything you're curious on, let me know. Barbecue recipes included. Well, Cody, thank you so much for coming on to the show today and for making your debut on the Review on Rails podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you for bringing your strongly held barbecue opinions and your strongly held opinions about mentorship. We appreciate you so much for being in this community. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Brittany. 
You've been listening to the Rupee on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.